pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not in temptation but deliver us an evil one in christ jesus our lord for his kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever amen okay so i'm going to assume everyone can hear me uh, for those who don't know, my name is Eric. Um, I'm in, uh, attend St. Paul's. Um, so tonight we're going to take a break from Genesis, and we're going to do uh, a little bit different thing. We're going to do a topic. Um, it's called uh, "Why God Reveals Himself to um, to People," and um, this isn't going to be some kind of um, roadmap or guideline on how why God reveals and how we can get God reveal. Um, himself to us, but really, you know, it's it's going to be um, just kind of looking at a couple of the more important characters in in the story of Acts, or not the more important, but a couple of um, great people in, in in Acts, and see what they did. And and God revealed themselves to these two people in miraculous ways. And we kind of want to look at hints in their life and see, you know, why God chose them. And and He didn't directly reveal Himself to them, but he did so in a way that brought them closer to him. And really, this is what we all want in our spiritual life. We want to draw closer to Christ and we want to be unified with Christ. And that's why we do. Um, that's why we go to church. That's why we partake of the sacraments. We don't do it just to be saved, but we want to be united again, once again with Christ. So um, we're going to spend some time on two stories in Acts. The first one is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight. And the second one is the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Um, in these two stories, again, like I said, God revealed himself to both these men um, in different ways. Um, and really, again, miraculous ways and wonderful. Uh, and these stories are really wonderful examples of how um, we can attain growth in our spiritual lives and, and something obviously we would all like to do. So we'll start with the, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, it's kind of a little bit of an underread um, and maybe a little bit of an underappreciated story. At least I know that I really underappreciated this story until I, I read it a little bit more closely. And it only takes about 14 verses in Acts chapter eight, but really they're, they're jam packed with really a lot of information and the father's focused a lot on this man. So we really wanna also focus on him and see what made him such a wonderful person that God uh, revealed himself and the faith to him in such a wonderful way. So before we go, um, we start reading, it's in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I'll give a, a little bit of background on what was happening prior to um, God revealing himself uh, and revealing the, the Christian faith to the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, Acts obviously starts out, um, thank you. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Sharif. Um, so Acts starts out, obviously, with the establishment of the church. Well, first, we, have the, we see the ascension of Christ, followed by... Um, the choosing of uh, Matthias. And then after that, we have the day of Pentecost. Um, obviously, the great day, the birthday of the church and the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles. Um, up until after the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples started their preaching and their preaching was within Jerusalem exclusively. Um, but again, as, the, as they're preaching and as more people were being converted to the faith, uh, what happened was persecution started to get much greater, and, and it got larger and larger, and it led really to the martyrdom of St. Stephen. St. Stephen, who was the first deacon, was also the first martyr of the church, and we see his martyrdom happen in Acts chapter 7, and we know, of course, that this is when um, Saul, as we would, as we know him as St. Paul, was also the one leading the persecution of the church. So we reach this pinnacle, this point of where St. Stephen is martyred, and the persecution has reached great levels, levels so large that now the the not the apostles, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the the disciples, the deacons, and other people they spread out. They started to go to Judea and to Samaria, and they started to spread the good news around the world, um, which really fulfills the prophecy that Christ said that we would he would that they would preach the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and, and all around the world. Um, so again, the, the persecution began, the, the, the disciples are scattered, and um, St. Philip, who, this is Philip, not the apostle, but it was Philip um, the deacon, or as he's referred to as often as the evangelist, he went to Samaria to preach. And after preaching in Samaria, that's where we pick it up in verse 26, and I will start reading, if I can move this a little bit. 
Um, we'll start reading verse 26. Again, I said it's very first, um, it's just 14 verses. I'll read them all first of all, and then we can go and we can discuss them uh, a little bit after that. It says, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Oh, it's a little bit cut off. Uh, okay, sorry. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Ozotus and in passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea and glory be to God forever. Amen. So, um, I know there's a lot there, but I really wanted to read it all first so we can get kind of a whole, whole understanding of, um, of the story. If, Shreef, if you could go back to 26, I'd appreciate that. Um, some things we learned about this man. Um, in verse 26, I don't know, Shreef, if you can hear me, there we go. So we read in actually in verse 27 it says a man of ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under candace this queen who is in charge of all her treasury and had come to jerusalem to worship so there's a few things we know about him we know first of all that he was very important uh it says he was riding in a chariot normal people don't just ride in chariots he was in charge of all her treasury so he was in charge of the money for the kingdom and it says straight out he had great authority um, so obviously not someone who was in need of anything material. Um, we also know that he was what we call like a proselyte. He was a convert. He wasn't, um, he was a convert to Judaism. And then finally, we also hear that he was returning from Jerusalem. So where was he returning from? Um, so we, we understand that he goes to Jerusalem. This again, th this was around the time of the Pentecost. It was just after the Pentecost. And the Pentecost happened on something called the Feast of the Harvest, which is a Jewish feast. Um, and it's, it aligns up perfectly with the Pentecost. So he was going to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple as the Jews did. And that's why during Pentecost, there were so many different languages because all the people, all the Jewish people from around the world who had taken, you know, who had moved out, who was speaking other language, they were coming back to Jerusalem on the Feast of the Harvest to worship God in the temple because that is where the Jews worship. They worship in the temple. The amazing thing about this is from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, this is not just a short walk, not a short you know, chariot ride. This is something that would have probably taken him weeks, probably a month, maybe five weeks. Um, so we see him making a lot of effort, of course, to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. So again, we see a man who really needs nothing in the world, but his desire was for God. He wanted something greater than all the material things that he was in control of, more than the authority that he was given by the queen. He, was, he would make this difficult trip to Jerusalem to worship God. One of the fathers, or one of the, I think he's a Catholic monk, monk his name is Bede. He says, regarding the Ethiopian eunuch's desire for God, he says, he showed so much love in his religion that leaving behind a queen's court, he came from the farthest region of the world to the Lord's temple. He found the church's font there in the desert rather than in the golden temple of the synagogue. So again, the first point is that he truly desired God. He desired to worship God. 
And this was visible, this was manifested in his works, his long travels, his struggle. He gave up, if you think about how long it takes to go there and to come back, that's about two months minimum. So he's giving up one sixth of his year, one sixth of his time in the royal court to go and to worship God. That's assuming that he only went once a year to worship. And he left behind all this comfort and he sacrificed to God. This is his desire for God. Further along, we see that he is now returning from um, Jerusalem. It says in the, in the scriptures that he was on his way back to Ethiopia. And what was he doing? This is the amazing thing about this man. He was reading the scripture. He was in his chariot and he was reading his, his scripture. So I think the second point I want to emphasize is that he was very consistent in his spiritual activity, even during a long trip. You know, he should maybe should have been satisfied. I think I would have been. He said he made this wonderful spiritual journey. He traveled all the way from Jerusalem, and now he was on his way home. But he offered himself no rest. On the way home, he just continues to read, and he desires more and more. As St. John Chrysostom says, he says he lived in wealth and power, but look, he allowed himself no rest even on the road. What must he have been like at home in his leisure hours? This man who could not bear to be idle even on his travels. <clears throat> so we see he had great consistency in his spiritual activities. I know for myself, if I think, um, you know, when we go to liturgy on Sunday, when we used to go, obviously, every week, um, you know, I would go to liturgy. You get up early, you know, you go through you know, two, three hours of liturgy, and then maybe you teach Sunday school. And I tell you, on the way home, I was always looking forward to, you know, going on the couch, getting some rest. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with um, rest. Rest is important. But it's when we say, I've done my time, you know, I've gone to church, I've completed my service, I will rest until next Sunday. And is the, then we have to start questioning, is this consistency in our spiritual life? Is there any form of struggle? Um, yes, we take rest, but what does the rest of my week look like? What is, am I consistent in my spiritual life? And I think we can speak of the, the Ethiopian eunuch that this was not something that was this, <clears throat> for him, I would say this is not something that there was a great feeling. Like he had gone to Jerusalem, he had worshiped, he was in such a spiritual high that he just wanted to keep reading his Bible. No, he struggled to travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And then on the way back, he's still reading. So this was not a feeling of in, um, euphoria, not a feeling of, oh, I just had this great um, spiritual moment and I have the high feelings. No, this man was used to struggle and he was used to consistency in his spiritual role. And if we look afterwards, we see a man in verse 30 and 31, it says, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And Philip, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. See how humbly this man seeks God. When Philip asks him, he so readily invites Philip to explain it to him. He has no pride. He says, no, I need someone to explain it to me. And he quickly welcomes Philip into his chariot, a stranger, someone who just kind of appeared miraculously in the desert. And he was so eager to hear and understand the word of God that he readily invites a stranger into his chariot. Um, I think that's quite you know, if you, if, you, if you sit back and contemplate and, and read these verses slowly and, and with clarity, you realize this Ethiopian eunuch was someone different. He was someone that nothing would stop him from satisfying his desire to know God. Um, <clears throat> so again, um, this is a man who's faithful to God and God being faithful to this man revealed himself to the Ethiopian eunuch through the miraculous appearance of St. Philip sending his angel to tell Philip to go and meet this man in the desert. And this man would eventually go and bring Christianity and bring the good news back to Ethiopia. And kind of a, a point I want to make is God sees a similar desire in us, okay? Maybe we don't have this fire that burns necessarily all the time like the Ethiopian eunuch. In some of us, maybe we just have a small flickering light, something that's just just there. It's a small light that's flickering. And then other people, maybe there's a great fire burning. But God himself is faithful to all of us. You know, He's the one who wants us to return to him. He's always working, regardless of our spiritual state. So he reveals himself to us and to those who desire him. 
He reveals himself in different ways and times, but the key is we must be willing. The Ethiopian eunuch was someone who was willing. You can tell he was willing because his desire was turned into action. His desire was turned into action that was in the form of consistency in his spiritual life. And we ourselves must have these two pillars in our life, a desire for God and the consistency. And if, if we feel, you know, I would say that every single one of us has this desire for God. Maybe we don't feel it. Of course, it's not a feeling, but maybe we all are made in the image and likeness of Christ. And our souls will not find rest until we are unified with Christ. This is every single one of us, okay? And all of us have a desire, whether it's a very small one, whether it's large, all of us have a desire. If we, but if we don't have this consistency manifesting in our spiritual life, if we do not have the consistency in our prayer, in our reading, in our fasting, then we kind of have to ask ourselves, how is my desire for God? How deep is my desire for God? One priest I was listening to the other night, he's put it, you know, is my spiritual life, is, is my desire for God more of a fantasy? He called it a fantasy. You know, is it a fantasy about this spiritual life that I desire to live, but it's something I'm not willing to struggle for? So maybe it's not something we truly, you know, in our human will desire to do. Even though we all have this calling to God, maybe it's something that we have to look at our desire and, and, and kind of analyze it a little bit closer. It said in a prophecy about Christ in Isaiah 42.3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. This is a very, 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 very beautiful verse. Um, I hope we can memorize it and contemplate on it. Christ himself is not only working, he works with anything. He works with anything we give him. Um, we can offer what we can offer and allow Christ to work in us. It doesn't matter if we feel like we are a bruised reed or if we feel like we just have a little bit of the wick of the candle still lit. Christ is always trying to stoke that fire within us. And again, we are made in the image and likeness of God. So we all have this desire. And I think it was St. Augustine who said, I believe it was him who talked about how his, his soul did not have rest until he returned to God. We are always seeking and our, and our soul is restless until we return to him. So I think we must be prepared to turn our desire into action. We must respond with a renewed focus daily in our spiritual lives, a focus that's something, not something we simply do on a Sunday or not something we simply do occasionally. We need both. We need the desire and um, the, the consistency in our prayer life. If anybody wants to comment, feel free. I'm going to keep talking and, and but if anyone has any any um, any comments please uh, please feel free to interrupt me so the second story we're going to talk about is the story of Cornelius um, it's in chapter 10 uh, Cornelius was uh, another example of an similar to the Ethiopian you get in verse 1 Let's, let's start reading and then we'll discuss it. We're not going to read the entire chapter. The entire chapter 10 is dedicated to Cornelius and we'll find out why, but we're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to read parts of it and we'll um, reflect on those verses. So in verse one, it starts, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men, men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to him, them, he sent them to Joppa. So what do we what do we see here? If we go back up to verse one. The Bible describes Cornelius as a devout man who feared God. Um, it says he gave alms generously and prayed to God always. And what do we see here that's very similar to the Ethiopian eunuch? I think we probably know the answer, but. I'll, I'll state it. Um, 
the Ethiopian eunuch was someone who was, or no, sorry, Cornelius was someone who prayed to God always. Okay, this is along the lines of the consistency that we're talking about. He feared God. Another word for feared is he revered God. He had great reverence for God, right? And a devout man. So he was someone who desired this relationship with this God. And, and, and for those who don't know, Cornelius was a Gentile. At this point, he was a Gentile who was worshiping the Jewish God. Um, and there was those type of people who um, existed. And this is a very important point because as we'll learn, Cornelius and his family were the first Gentiles to be converted to um, the Christian faith. Um, and, and this is why this story is so important because God, for some reason, which we're reading about, chose Cornelius and his family as an example of the Gentiles who he wanted, uh, that who he would um, reveal himself to. Sorry. And it says in the first three, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when we read of visions in the Bible, typically a vision in the Bible occurs during prayer. You know, this is what happens when a vision comes to someone. Usually that's what they're doing is they're praying. And the other clue that Cornelius was praying, well, is, is when it says ninth hour of the day. Um, just like we have now, we have now the Igbeya or the prayer of hours. It's the same thing in the, Jew, the Jews, they kept the, the, the prayer of hours. So they would pray at ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. So in fact, at the time of the vision, Cornelius was praying. Um, and the interesting thing is, I'm not going to read all the way to the end, but in verse 30, it, when Cornelius is explaining the story to St. Peter, he actually tells St. Peter that he was fasting until the, uh, the ninth hour, and he was praying. So he comes out and says that I was fasting and praying. Thank you, Sharif. It says, Cornelius said, for four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright, clo in bright clothing. So not only was Cornelius faithful to these hours of prayer, he was also fasting until the ninth hour. He was fasting until 3 p.m., which is, you know, something amazing if you consider that he was a Gentile and, but he had such reverence for God. He desired God so much that he was so consistent in his fasting and his prayer role. So again, we can extrapolate from all these things, how much um, how Cornelius desired God. And this was manifested again in his works, especially in his prayer, how important that is. Um, all this stuff is, you know, part of our spiritual journey. And something to note between the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius, something that is common between the two, is that they have this detachment from worldly things. Um, it's kind of like how you can tell that they're progressing in their spiritual journey. They have a detachment from worldly things. And when I say a detachment, I don't mean that they all want to sell everything they have, run to the desert, become monks and nuns. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's that the, the worldly things lose their taste, you know, the money, the power, the many friends, all these things just tend to lose their taste. They lose their sweetness that they once probably had. Um, and that's the only reason that is nothing changed except that the desire for God completely replaces these things. Once you taste God or once you taste the beauty of God, then these other things, the flavor just kind of goes away. They don't have the same fulfillment inside of us that they once did. Only God now can fulfill that void. And we read about this kind of, throughout scripture, we read about this experience that many people had. Um, Matthew, the tax collector, of course, was one who you know, left all his wealth and he went and became a disciple of Christ. Zacchaeus um, also was, he gave away, I think, four times his, what he took from people simply because he encountered Christ. Zacchaeus was just the experience of Christ caused him to just want to give everything away. And this is the same thing that happens in our lives. It's unavoidable is the only word is when we commit to God and when we're consistent and we experience him, then all the other things begin to lose their flavor. And again, we see this exactly in the stories of the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius. Both these men are of great power and authority. It says of the Ethiopian eunuch, he had great authority. The, uh, Cornelius, he was a centurion. That means he was a Roman soldier who had 100 men under him. And he obviously had lots of money. The Ethiopian eunuch, we see that he left the comforts of his palace for months 
to go travel across the desert and to go and worship Christ. With the Cornelius, we see someone, as the scripture says, he gave alms generously. So both of them, you can see this detachment from worldly things. And we get hints of that in their stories. Cornelius cared even for his bodily comfort. You know, fasting till 3 p.m. is not an easy thing. You know, it's, it's very difficult, especially when you're working and many things. And not only did he fast till 3 p.m., he didn't just break his fast. He began his prayer at 3 p.m. So he even gave up this, detach, this, um, this attachment to his bodily comfort. Um, and both of them did that. So the, again, this is because they had this great desire for God. So it's through these pillars of consistency and desire um, in which God reveals himself. And this is how our spiritual life advances. I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to go through the rest of chapter 10 um, just for the sake of time. But, you know, to complete the story, um, at the same time that Cornelius is having a vision, St. Peter also has a vision. And St. Peter's vision is pointing him to go. And um, uh, maybe many of you know the story. It's when the animals are brought down and the Lord tells him to, to eat. And, and St. Peter refuses three times because they're unclean, according to his religious tradition. Um, but God says, whatever God has, you know, cl uh, cleansed, do not call unclean. Sorry, I, I, that's not exactly right. But he said, do not call um, unclean what God has cleaned. So, and then St. Peter realized, and then he was told to go to Cornelius's house. Um, and at that point, St. Peter re was revealed to by God that the Gentiles were also um, supposed to be the receivers of the good news. Um, and, and in the end, of course, Cornelius's family, him and his family were all um, baptized and received the Holy Spirit. The amazing thing about this story at the end is that this is the one time in the scripture um, where the Holy Spirit is, comes down upon um, Cornelius and his family, and then St. Peter baptizes him. This is right at the end of the, the story is this, the point of this is Christ is confirming to St. Peter, God is confirming to St. Peter and saying that these people are my people, right? So usually what happens is we baptize and then the laying on of hands is when the Holy Spirit is given. But in this story is the one time where the Holy Spirit is given and then St. Peter realizes, says, who am I to deny baptism to um, if God has accepted these people? And, and St. Peter realizes that the good news is for the Gentiles as well. So it's a really beautiful story, and Cornelius is rewarded um, because of his desire and his consistency in his spiritual life. So God reveals himself to those of us who have these two things. It's, it's, it's a guarantee. I do not say that God doesn't reveal himself to other people who maybe are struggling. He, it's up to God to whom, how, and what, when he reveals himself to people and how he does that. But for people, who, for those of us who are truly desirous of God, who our intentions are pure, um, and who are consistent in our spiritual life, God is faithful to us. It says in Revelations that God is knocking on the door. This is a very beautiful um, contemplation that Christ is knocking on our door. He is not impatient. He is just simply waiting. He's simply knocking, giving us you know, calling us occasionally and you know, calling us constantly and waiting for us to answer. And the way we answer the knocking that God is doing is through consistency in our spiritual life. This is very important. Um, and it's in, and we'll talk a little bit about more of this consistency idea. Um, but again, if we want God to reveal himself to us, we must be consistent. So if we look at these two things, two ideas separately, first, let's go dive a little bit deeper into the consistency idea. In orthodoxy, um, we have a very, this is a wonderful thing about our faith, is we have this idea of um, a spiritual rule, right? A spiritual rule that you'll set up with your father of confession or your spiritual guide. And that spiritual rule consists of a spiritual rule about prayer, about Bible reading, about confession, you know, and we should be consistent in these things. And also we have to be consistent in our partaking of the Holy Communion and service and almsgiving in our fasting, again, um, at the guidance of your father of confession. But all these ideas of a spiritual rule is so that we can maintain this consistency. If we do things often um, just based on feeling, just based on whether I'm, you know, maybe I'm too tired tonight, 
we're human and we tend to fall away. So this idea of a rule is very important, especially when at all times, but even when we're starting out, we wanna have a prayer rule that we can establish with someone to help guide us through our spiritual life. Um, we can easily compare this idea with an athlete, um, an athlete who maybe let's, let's pick something like the Olympics, because <laughs> that's like the greatest event, right? Um, is, is when you can win a gold medal at the Olympics. Well, what does an Olympic athlete do? An Olympic athlete will train daily, probably multiple times a day. Um, you know, and they often begin when these, when they're like three or four, some of these gymnasts are like three or four, they're starting to train. Um, and days upon days, uh, many of them, um, many of them in the end, like the, those people who do the hundred meter sprint, I mean, they, these guys are training for, you know, four years in their whole life for like a 10 second or seven second race. Um, and for them, if they're not consistent in their training, what will happen? They'll end up failing. They will fall short of their goal. And it's the same same thing in spiritual life. Our spiritual life is no different. Um, we also have to train. Again, in orthodoxy, we have the idea of asceticism. We kind of speak often about asceticism. And we tend to associate asceticism with um, monks and nuns, right? They go into the desert or they go to their monastery and they live a very ascetic life. But that's actually totally incorrect. Orthodoxy teaches us that we all need to be ascetic in some form. Uh, again, doesn't necessarily mean we have the same level as monks and nuns, but we all have to our li live our spiritual lives with a form of asceticism. Um, even if you look at the word asceticism, the, the origins of the word asceticism is actually just exercise. Um, so that's what it is, spiritual exercise. Our spiritual lives can be compared to spiritual exercise. And with exercise, exercise implies a struggle. You know, sometimes when we exercise, we're out of breath. Um, you know, it'll hurt. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's good, right? I mean, it, I, when I used to go to the gym like 20 years ago, uh, I, I heard that if it hurts the next day, that means your muscles are growing. Like that means that's a good thing. You know, so the, the more pain, the more gain, right? I think that's the saying. So, you know, if I can barely walk, I'm doing great, right? And barely get in bed, we know it's working. Um, it's the same thing with their spiritual life in a sense. Um, Sometimes things are going to hurt, you know, fasting until 3 p.m. like Cornelius was doing, I'm sure was not a pleasant thing for him. Um, sometimes we don't feel like praying or sometimes we don't feel like reading our Bible. But and sometimes maybe we don't feel like standing in liturgy or, or attending the liturgy or whatnot because it's so difficult. But again, this is why we must have this rule and this consistency because it trains ourselves and it leads us into a deeper spiritual life. It truly does. It's not. Um, you know, maybe some people think it's too mechanical, but this is whatever way we can achieve our struggle, we should do. And a spiritual rule is certainly one of those ways. Um, we really want to get away from relying simply on feelings. Um, we must follow a rule just like a professional athlete would who is training. But again, the we can't just have now we've done the consistency, but we can't just have the consistency. We have to have the other piece too, the spiritual life uh, or the, the desire for God, I should say. And when we talk about the desire of God, we must ask ourselves, what is our desire? What are our intentions? Um, we can think the most obvious example in the scripture, the Pharisees, the Pharisees are people who had, who were very consistent in their practices. It says of them that they tithed, they prayed, they attended all the services. Um, but why did they do it? I mean, it was for show. It was to be seen by men, right? It says of him, they, it says of them, they desired the best seat of the table. They had no desire to be unified with God. They had nothing of the of, inside of them to desire God. It was simply just pride. It was simply to fulfill their human desire to be loved. And again, we have to reflect on us. We do all have a desire for God, but we have to, in our spiritual lives, analyze why we are doing things kind of be critical of ourselves a little bit and why I do my spiritual role or why I'm, I'm active in my spiritual life. Um, is it because of, a, is it like the Pharisees? Do we desire to be seen? Or is it maybe, you know, the one that maybe I get caught up in a little bit? Um, is, is, it, is it about a spiritual checklist? You know, I want to satisfy maybe some guilt that I have inside of me. Um, I, you know, I can, I can, if I pray, get up there, pray, I can check that off my list. Or if I go to confession, you know, once every, you know, few months, I can check that all off my list. Oh, I went to liturgy on Sunday. Great. I can check that off my list. Is that why we're doing things? Because maybe we have a form of consistency 
but we're missing the true desire. Um, so it's important to reflect on our intentions. And there's a reminder every day, if we're consistent in our Gbeya, there's a reminder at the conclusion of every hour, it tells, we ask God in the very end to say, purify our intentions. Um, and that is so important because um, we are all weak. Let's face it, none of us have pure intentions. None of us are living our spiritual lives simply for unification with God. There's always something maybe missing. It may be something else that's driving us. But that's why we ask God to purify us. You know, that's why we pray. We pray because we are weak and we're asking God to satisfy the weak, to, to overcome our weakness, help us overcome our weakness. And it's the same thing with our intentions in our spiritual life. We must ask God to purify our intentions and to help us. So what about so what about this desire of God with without a consistent spiritual life? Um, is it true desire? We have to ask ourselves. So maybe we have this feeling that we desire God, but then it's not manifested in our works. Again, we have to ask: Is this true? Is this a true desire? As we discussed earlier, is it a fantasy? Um, you know, can an athlete make the Olympics simply by watching the Olympics on TV? Or maybe can an athlete you know, make the Olympics by reading about the great athletes who made the Olympics in history, right? Or do they need that aspect of struggle, the work, the exercise? Is, you have to ask them, do they, do they truly desire that Olympic dream? It's the same thing with our spiritual life. You know, often we can get caught up in maybe reading about the great saints and going, oh, wow, it's so amazing how, how they did all those things, how they fasted, how they, you know, they were able to they were so humble. Someone could, you know, yell at them and they would not even react. And you go, I wish I could be like that. You know, we get caught up maybe just idolizing that, that saint or, or how they are and just reading about them. And that's it. We stop there. Right. But that's really a motivation for us to act, to, to, to imitate them. As St. Paul says to, to imitate St. Paul urged his people to imitate him just as he imitated Christ. And that's the same thing with us. When we read these stories of the great saints and we read the stories about the Ethiopian eunuch and we read the stories about Cornelius, are they urging me on in my own spiritual life? Um, actually, this is, I, I was going to talk about the story about St. John the Short and I think his commemoration day, his feast day is, is starting now for tomorrow. So it's, it's kind of good timing. Um, there's a, a wonderful story about St. John the Short. Um, maybe many of you have heard it. It's, it's about um, the time his Abba, his um, spiritual father, told him that he wanted him to plant a stick in the ground. And this is in the desert. So it's like, you know, sand, there's nothing there. He plant a stick in the ground and then water it every day. And, and he just said, water it every day. And so St. John would travel twice a day, once in the in the morning and once late at night because that was the only time it wasn't super hot right the sun was out as the middle of the desert so he would go before the sun came up and he would go after the sun went down he would do this every day he would water this stick and and i think where the water was was miles i mean it, it would take him you know a couple hours or at least to go and get the water so much of his day was taken up by this and he would travel twice a day hours on end, miles, carrying this water and watering a stick, a stick that was planted in the desert. And then after three years, miraculously, the water or the stick started to bud fruit. And instead of um, his Abba, his father, he said, he called all the other monks and he said, take and eat the fruits of obedience. And I love this story. And I, I think about it often for the one fact that, yes, it's about obedience, but the other thing that St. John shows us here is that regardless of the fruits, regardless of maybe the feeling, he was obviously very tired. He was consistent in being obedient to this rule that his, um, his father gave him. He was consistent no matter what fruits. There was no fruits being born, right? There was, and there was no real hope for fruit to be born, but yet he remained consistent. And we have to think about this in our own spiritual lives, maybe in, in other things we're struggling with, that maybe the fruits are not immediate, um, and maybe it takes a little bit of time, but eventually when we are consistent, we will, we will bear the fruits of this consistent spiritual life. And St. John did it for two reasons. He did two things. He was consistent every day, twice a day. And also he loved Christ. And for him, his father, his spiritual father 
was like he was being obedient to Christ when he was obedient to his spiritual father. So he had this desire and love for God as he also had this consistency in his actions. And then, of course, the miraculous happened, the water or the stick um, bore fruit. <clears throat> so to conclude, I kind of want to look at St. Paul's, uh, a verse that St. Paul says in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 to 3. Maybe you can pull that up, Sharif, if you don't mind, if you're Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Uh, chapter 12, sorry. Chapter 12. Awesome. Thank you. So it says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, so that's the, the two verses, sorry, one to two. Um, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about, verse one to two. So here in this, in verses one and two, we have two elements. The key words here that I want to focus on are, in verse one, it talks about enduring, enduring the race. Let us run the race with endurance. This is another way of saying, let us be consistent. Let us continue on. Let's not start and stop, start and stop. Let's continue to be consistent as best we can. Um, and that's the endurance aspect of the race that we are running in our lives. And this is not a sprint. Our race is about, it's like a marathon we are running and there will be some pain, but we must endure. The second part is in um, verse two, right at the beginning, it says, looking unto Jesus. Jesus is our goal. He is our desire. So when we are running our race, we must always look to him. So we have the consistency, the endurance, but we also have that aspect of always looking to Jesus. And when we get, when we start to struggle in our race, it's because we start to set our eyes on other things. We start to take our eyes off Christ and we start to look at other things. And this is why this is so important to always keep our focus <coughs> on Jesus. Um, in terms of the consistency, I want to make one more point. Um, one of the one of the real challenges in the Christian life is if someone, um, thank God I don't have this, but if someone is always desiring to be perfect in everything they do, you know, and I know a lot of people, um, and, and, it's, and it's a very good thing. It, they desire to, to, to complete their task with perfection. And, and if you kind of have that attitude, we just have to keep in mind that um, the Christian life is not one of perfection. Yes, God calls us to be perfect, but this path we are leading, we are going to make mistakes, okay? We are going to miss some of our spiritual rule. You know, if I have a spiritual rule where my father of confession tells me, you know, you must bear the, the first and the 12th hour every day, and for two days I miss it, you know, am I going to say, oh, I, I'm, I can't do this, I'm done, because I, I'm, I didn't have this perfect completion of my spiritual rule? No. If you do that, you're going to get very frustrated in your spiritual life. We have to remember that this is a spiritual struggle. We're not, we're not just fighting. We're fighting many things. Of course, we're fighting a spiritual aspect um, that are desiring us not to complete our role. There's demons and everything trying to get us to stop praying, trying to get us to not read our Bible, trying to come up with a million excuses in our minds. Okay, so it's a, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And sometimes we are going to fall. But there's a very well-known saying in the Christian life. And I think it maybe starts with, with, with the monks is it says that, you know, the life of a monk, and we can apply this to a life of a Christian, is one that we fall, but we get back up. And we fall, we get back up, and we fall, and we get back up. And we don't just stop there. If we are just falling and getting back up, that's good. But we must fall, and we must get back, always moving in the direction towards Christ. We must make sure our direction is towards Christ. So even though we fall and we get back up, we continue to move towards Christ. And that is the beauty of the Christian life. That's the beauty of Christ, who's always lifting us up when we fall, right? Always helping us when we fall. And that's the same thing in our spiritual rule, in our, in our consistency, in our faith. We must, if we, if we fall, quickly get back up, right? Repent, do what you have to do, forget it, and go. Keep going, um, because that is, you're typically you're on the right path. If you feel um, 
another way to, to measure spiritual progression, not to get on too much of a, a sidetrack, but another way to measure spiritual progression is often when we are progressing in our spiritual life, we will feel like we are not. Okay, when we are moving forward, we will often feel like we are further away. And the reason is, is because as you get closer to this light, as you get to the closer to the purity that is God, you start to see yourself more clearly. You start to see your weakness. You start to see your sin. You start to see how unworthy you are of God's love, right? And this is a good sign because this means you're getting closer to, to knowing God. When we know ourselves, we know God, as St. Anthony says, okay? So in that moment, we have to be aware of that, and we have to continue on and endure, endure, endure in our spiritual life. The last point I will make, and I'll wrap it up, is um, in this struggle with desiring God. Um, I think maybe many of us feel like we're lukewarm, whatever, and we don't have this desire for God. And if we feel this lack of desire and it's consistent, of course, you can talk to your father of compassion. But another thing we should do is we should um, always go back to thankfulness. Always go back to thankfulness. Um, we must kind of take time to reflect and contemplate on in silence and solitude, which is very hard to find these days. We need to find time where we're silent by ourselves um, and we must reflect on God's work for us, his love for us. Um, God fully created us knowing that he would have to empty himself, incarnate as a human, suffer and die for us. He knew that all when he created us, but he simply did it for love, okay? So that we may be raised with him, so we may be unified with God. And this is exactly what St. Paul says um, in, uh, in the... In verse 2, up above in Hebrews 12, he says, after he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have this consistency and endurance. We have this looking unto Jesus. And at the end, we have this thankfulness to God, thankfulness to Christ, who endured the cross for us, Right. So let that kind of be the motivation for us to desire God. Let us all, let us sit by ourselves and contemplate this wonderful thing that Christ um, did for us. So if you're struggling in your spiritual life, if you're struggling with desire, always return to this thought. Christ endured the cross. He despised the shame. And all the while we were, he was doing that, we were sinners. And, he, and we are continuing to be sinners, but he continues to knock at the door of our hearts. So we need to be thankful for that. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, is there any questions or any comments people want to make or any, anything like that? All right, Eric. Um, um, one thing I want to add to what you said um, is, um, is you know that you know uh, going back to what you said about about um, about uh, arresting. What you said. Our resting is a good thing, but for us to rest after coming home from church and like after a like after like a three hour liturgy, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's good, but at the same time, it's bad because uh, because if you come if you come home and you rest and don't do anything, um, what's the word, uh, productive, mm -hmm. then basically your um your uh your uh, Waiting the whole day and then and and, and then uh, and then uh, at the end you, you will tell yourself that I didn't do anything productive after resting uh, after uh, after resting after a long winter day. Yeah, I mean, so everything in moderation a little bit, including you know you need to have rest or else you're going to burn yourself out. But at the same time. You, like you said, you don't want to go home and maybe take a 10 hour nap and then, and then, and that's it. Right. So you're, you're definitely right. The rest is okay, but we, we should be careful, you know, that we don't turn it into um, laziness and laxity. So. And also, and also, and also one more thing, one more thing I want to add mm -hmm. is that, is, is that I heard it from, I, I heard it from Emma Yusuf. Mm -hmm. It, it, you know, there's a difference between growing toward perfection and being a um, a perfectionist. You know, very good. Yeah. Being, being being a perfectionist means 
that you know you won't be happy because 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 you will see everything is not perfect, but 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 going toward perfection, it, it's a good thing because if you read the uh, Philippians chapter twelve or sorry not chapter twelve chapter chapter three, I meant mm-hmm. right where where uh, where uh, where uh, Saint Paul spoke about going toward perfection. Uh, he says that you know, you know, uh, I what, what, what did he say? Oh yeah, he says that you know, I'm pressing toward the goal, which means, which means, as if Saint Paul is saying that I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going toward perfection. So, 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 so as you said, you know, you know, we will struggle, but as long as as long as we're going toward perfection and not being a perfectionist, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, it's actually a good, a good thing, and 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 also, um, and also, as you said, as you said, and and also, one thing I want to say also is that when we put our schedule, when we put a schedule for ourselves every day, it will make our day so much easier. Yeah, which means that which means that uh, we won't, which means that you won't be bored and 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 then you don't, and then you won't know what to do. Uh, the first thing you get up. Yeah, I think those are. I mean, those are every, very good points. That second point was very well put, Nina. That you know, there's a difference between being a perfectionist and being perfect. And of course, being perfect is only capable by the work of God. But you know, being a perfectionist will get in that in the way of God working. So I think that was really very well put. Um, any other questions or comments? Thank you, Mina. Okay, great. Well, we can we can pray and uh, and we'll call it a night then. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We thank you, God, so much. Um, for this wonderful time together in fellowship. We thank you, O Lord God, for allowing us to hear the stories of the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius, O Lord God, and, and their families, and how dedicated they were to you, and how much they desired you, O God, and how much that was manifested in their works, and how much that was manifested in their detachment from their worldly things. We ask you, O Lord God, that you may plant this desire in us and that you may make it grow, O Lord God, that we may every day grow in knowledge and in love of you, O Lord, for what is this world if we do not have you and we do not have love for you? We thank you, O God, for this time together. We thank you for our church and we thank you, Lord, for everything you do for us, O God. We ask you, Lord, to protect everyone, those who are sick and those who are struggling this during this time of quarantine, that you may grant them rest. Lord God, we ask you this, the intercessions of your Holy Mother, St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your angels and saints, make us worthy to pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Sharif, for all your help. Have a great night. Good night.